you find that good-looking person yet? <laughs> some, some of you are still looking? Oh, man. Oh, boy. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. You can connect with us by hitting the Connect button. Sure, love to get your information. We'll share our information with you. If you're here in the building, use a Connect card in front of you. Fill it out. And at the end of the service, you can take it to any of our giving boxes. Or you can also do your giving online. Of course, you'll hit the giving button. We allow your, your giving to take place. And this, in this room, you can use an envelope and participate in giving. I know many of you give uh, online or, you know, through the technology that is available. So thank you for your faithfulness to giving. God is worthy of our gifts. He is worthy of our faithfulness and obedience this morning. Let me give you a couple of announcements. Uh, you know, there will be no slides, actually. I want you to know, though, uh, from our Good Friday service, we, the pastoral staff, we're praying over those needs you nailed to the cross. You didn't just write those out for nothing. We're, we've been praying for them. I just wanted you to know that. Uh, today, we have an uh, opportunity for you at 2 o'clock. If you're hungry, I know many of you are hungry at 12. Eat a snack. Come back at 2. CMA, Christian Motorcycle Association, is providing a free lunch and a fun, uh, I guess the, the idea just slipped my mind. It's called an auction. An auction uh, that they're going to have fun to raise money for their ride that they have, to, to raise money for Christian Motorcycle Association and a special ride that they have. It's a ministry. CMA is a ministry, and some of our partners are back there. They're wearing their beautiful vests, their, their good-looking vests. And uh, they go around sharing the gospel with motorcycle motorcyclists. And so... I would sure love for any of you to be a part of that luncheon uh, today. That's at 2 o'clock. Let's support our CMA. Thank you, Dale and, and Janet Shu, for being that liaison for our church to them. And then another thing, one of our classes, uh, we're going to, not classes, but uh, one of our newest uh, members, Paul and Leslie. Where are they? Are they there? Hey, there's Leslie. Uh, Paul's probably, he's somewhere. But they, she is actually works with Child Evangelism Fellowship, which uh, also I think Brian Rabor is a part of that. But there is a Easter party for your kids. So there's some flyers out back. Would you take those with you this Thursday to support the ministry and just for them to hear the gospel message again? It's obviously our intention, Alexandra will be there. It will be exciting. Uh, it's just in one of our local elementary schools. So take that with you. All right. Last week we, we celebrated Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to continue this series of King Jesus as we look at his time after his resurrection. He spent some time on earth even after he rose from the dead. And I want to spend some time going over those moments with you. And uh, so this morning's message is entitled, By His Wounds We Are Healed. By His Wounds We Are Healed. John chapter 20 verse 19 is, is where I'm going to take our story for today. Verse 19 says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and on his, and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today that is sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray your word would pierce our hearts, our mind, our soul, and spirit. Would you transform us and make us into your image 
as we partake of this word. May we hear your voice speaking to us. I ask it in Jesus' name. As I was reading this uh, passage once again, I had to think about my human nature. And I'm going to share something with you. I I always try to just share my life with you, uh, and and I'm going to explain why. But I am a competitive individual, and I have Tony, Timmy, and John to thank for my childhood and preteens. Prior to meeting those three guys, I actually didn't care if I lost. I didn't even care if I played in the game. I've shared with you before my sad story. I was the kid on the bench. (laughs) There was like... All the kids were out there. They found a position for every other kid, but for me, I was a kid in Little League Baseball on the bench. There I sat. But you know what? I didn't mind. This is great. No pressure. I, I don't have any chores to do. I can sit here. I'll keep the, I'll keep the bench clear. I'll get the guys their bats. Here you go. Go get them, guys. Go get them. You know, I didn't mind living that way at all. But my seventh grade year, we moved out of the west side of Joliet to the east side, and I met Timmy Rudman, who lived next door to me, and Tony Jerisha, who was across the street a few houses over. And we played every sport under the sun. I especially began to develop a spirit of competition when we all got a basketball goal put into our driveways, and we would start at Tony's, and then we would go to Tim's, and then we'd go to my house, and then we'd just keep going around and around. And I loved the idea that I was going to be the best of all three of them. And then I met John Ray. John Ray was a little bit older than me, but he was in my youth group. He loved playing basketball, and he would come over to my house, and we would play. And then I would go to his house, and we would play. And I experienced the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. But that competitive spirit began to be birthed in me, and it it started going into every area of my life, because I remember one time being in study hall, hearing this kid talk about how good he was at chess, and I got sick and tired of hearing about it. So I never played chess, but I went down to the library, and I'm going to say, I'm going to shut this kid up. I'm going to go learn about chess, and I'm going to come and be him. So I read the book in the library after a few weeks. I came up. I challenged him to a game of chess in study hall, and he beat me, and he beat me, and he beat me, and he beat me. But finally, I beat him. I won, and I defeated him. I beat that kid. Yeah. Can you tell how good I felt in that moment? And there was birth, the, the competitive spirit. Now, I share that with you for two reasons. Number one, if we ever play a board game, or maybe this summer we'll play a softball game at the park, or just maybe we'll be the last two cars getting out of this parking lot. And I have to apologize ahead. I'm sorry if I get competitive. I'm sorry if I have to be the first one. If I see you and me, I'm like, okay, how can I kindly win this battle? But I also bring this up for another reason. And that is because when I read this story, my competitive spirit rises up. When I read the resurrection story, I begin to think about this idea, Jesus, this is the perfect time to walk into those religious leaders' homes and say, I won. I did it. That cross that they put me on, I conquered it. Those nails that were in my hands, couldn't hold me. The grave that you put me in couldn't keep me there. 
I won. Jesus, this was the perfect time to go in front of all those people that mocked you, that laughed at you, that spit on you. It's time for you to show up and say, look, I won. I did it. Game's over. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he went to some guys who were hiding. Some guys who had run away from him. The, the guys that he had trained up to be there for him. And then they ran off. It was those guys that he appears suddenly. And he did that, and Jesus did that because Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My way that day would have been, Jesus, let's go right over there. And Jesus said, no, that's not my way. I, I, I think I, well, I, you know, going back into the, the story of the crucifixion, when they're, they're claiming, if you come down from that cross, we'll believe you. And I'm thinking, well, that's a great idea. Lord, could you imagine if you come down from the cross? They'll have to believe you. But coming down from the cross wouldn't have saved us. Wouldn't have brought forgiveness into our life. God's ways are not our ways. And we need to learn to trust in the Lord. Jesus died on the cross so that we can come into the presence of God and so that we can declare, God, you are great and greatly to be praised. I want to acknowledge that your ways are higher than my ways. They're better, oh God. It's not about winning the way I want to win. God, your, your way of winning is so much better. I know how I want to function, Lord. I, I don't know. I'm sure you've lived life long enough where you've been in there and you've said these words, God, that doesn't make sense. Or God, you know what? If you would just solve this one problem, God, leave the rest, but just solve the one problem. Just fix this one situation, Lord. Then you know what? My life would be better. It would be perfect. I can serve you more. I can do more for you. I've got it figured out, Jesus, if you just do this one thing for me. If you've lived life long enough, you've been in a place where you've said, Lord, that doesn't make sense. If you would just fix that, if you would just do that for me, if you would just show up in that way. But God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are better than our thoughts, and we need to learn to trust the Lord. We need to learn to trust Him, especially when life doesn't make sense. There's a beautiful song that we used to sing long ago that said, "'Tis so sweet just to trust in Jesus, just to rest upon His promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, just to know that God has spoken it. I believe it. Not that I have it all figured out. Not that I understand it all. God, I don't really understand everything that's happening, but you said it. I'm going to believe it. You said I don't have to fear, so I'm not going to fear. You said I don't have to worry, so I'm not going to worry. You said I don't have to run away from my problems, but I could run to you. You said it. I'm going to believe it. I tell Alexandra, Alexandra, guess what? We're going to go on vacation. We're going to go to Florida. And you know what? Alexandra's not worried about the plane tickets. She's not worried about the cost of lodging. 
She's not worried about if I'm doing a good job budgeting our money so that we can go on vacation. I said it. She believes it. She's excited. She knows it's going to happen. She's not worried how we get there. God said he's preparing a place for us that where he is, we will be also. God said he would never leave us or forsake us. He said he would walk with us and be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He would never leave us. So, Father, you said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust him with all of my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. And the apostles, the disciples, I know it's really easy for us to look at them and say, come on, guys, are they, they got word already, the tomb is empty. Hello? Jesus told you, why are you hiding? You should be walking around telling everybody that the tomb is empty. Guess what? The Lord's with us. But they were hiding. They were living in fear. They were filled with fear. And it's too easy to accuse them and say, oh man, I can't believe you guys still don't get it. But Jesus suddenly appears in the middle of their fear. He shows up right where they need him. He comes and he speaks peace. Jesus wants to speak peace into your life. He wants to speak peace into your life. You might think, well, I have peace. Well, you know, think about this. God Almighty wants to speak more peace to you. Do you have the time to receive it? Do you want to receive it? Do you know you need it? Do you desire it? Do you desire the peace of God? Yes, you know, your life might be going good right now. And yes, maybe there's no big issue on your agenda right now. But I can tell you, you still need the peace of God. You see, peace is the fruit of justice. Peace is the fruit of justice. In order to have peace, you have to have justice. Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So without the peace of God, we walk around unjustified. We walk around as a criminal. We walk around dead without Jesus. We need his presence more than anything, more than anyone. If there's anything you need in a day, it's the Lord Jesus speaking peace into your life. Every day of your life, you need him speaking that peace. I'm grateful that you're here today. I'm grateful that you're watching online so that Jesus can speak peace into your life so that you can receive his justice. You can receive his perfection. You can receive his forgiveness into your life. That gives you the power to not walk around in guilt or shame or fear or doubt or concern. It gives you the power to walk in life and in joy and in hope. The peace of God. You know what the peace of God also does? You know it from law enforcement. What what does law enforcement? Law enforcement is there to keep the peace. They're there to keep order. Law enforcement is there to keep the peace. They're keeping everything in order. And when somebody's breaking the law or if they're getting out of order, they're there to bring correction to make sure we're not living in chaos. And it was so important that day for Jesus to come into that room suddenly and speak peace to Peter. Because Peter had denied Jesus. He denied him three times. And Jesus said, if you deny me before men, 
My father will deny you. Jesus knew these words. He, it, it's what broke his heart. It's what caused him to break down in tears and to weep and to sob. He, he had messed up. He had made a huge mistake. He had caused disorder in his life. He, he lost power. When Jesus came and when he spoke peace, he was bringing everything back in order. Just like when the storm was raging on the waters of the lake and the waters were crashing against the boat and beating against the boat. And Jesus spoke. He said, peace be still. And immediately the waters were stilled. That's what Jesus did for Peter. He spoke peace. And I don't know about you, but I do recognize in me there are moments that there are things that I want to say and they have nothing to do with peace. There are things that I want to do, and they have they, it's, it's disorder. And I don't want to live that way. I don't want to function in that way. I want, to, I want the Lord to speak peace, and I want Him to bring order into my life so that I can follow Him, so that I can be connected with Him, so that I don't sin against Him. I want the peace of God to come and restore order in my life. When we are in right standing with God, when we have the peace of God, when God keeps us in order with Him, we'll be able to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. We'll be able to be, have unconditional love. We'll be patient and kind when the peace of God is in us. We won't be frustrated. We won't be so competitive that we don't let somebody go ahead of us. We'll have the peace of God. I don't want to be out of order. I don't want somebody to show up to my life and say, boy, this guy is out of order. This guy is not going to help me. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to look at him. I don't want to listen to him. I want people to say, you know what? There's a, there's a peace about you. There's a peace about you right now. I want you, I want to talk to you. I want to listen to what you have to say. And then you, when you receive the peace of God, you then have the power and privilege to speak and give away the peace of God. When your life is in order with the Lord, when you allow God to speak that into you, you can then speak that into others. Peter was broken inside. He was filled with violence and rage and anger. He had issues. He, he had no problem hurting people. He had no problem hurting other people. Until Jesus spoke peace into his life and the Lord brought restoration to him. And then verse 20 says this. Verse 20 says that while Jesus spoke, Jesus showed him his wounds. He showed him his wounds, and I find that very interesting. That God Almighty showed his disciples his wounds because today, uh, I hope I'll watch some basketball today. I, I enjoy sports. We're going to watch we're gonna watch the Bulls. We're gonna, we've got Bulls fans here today. I don't know about the rest of you. They're hiding it. They're hiding it. <laughs> Dane doesn't hide his love. I, I, I love it too. But do you know what? When, when a team, when a sports team wins, you, you, well, I should say it this way. You know, when they're raising a banner, you, if you know anything about sports, when they win, they usually raise a banner. And they're raising the banner. Why? Because they won. They don't raise banners because we lost. Like, okay, guys, we had a horrible season. Let's raise the banner. We stunk. We were the worst team. Isn't this awesome? Let's raise that banner. You don't do that when you're defeated. 
yet here Jesus was teaching his disciples something. He was teaching to be vulnerable. We need to be vulnerable before Jesus. In my human nature, I don't like showing my feelings. I don't like being vulnerable. I don't like exposing my weaknesses. But Jesus immediately comes into the room, speaks peace, and then he says, let me show you where they beat me. Let me show you where they hurt me. Let me show you my wounds. Let me show you where they got me right here and they got me right here. But this was no pity party. No, it was not at all. Because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Our Savior took the worst things in life and he brought the best out of them. He took death and from death came a life. So he was able to show them his wounds that brought healing and brought strength and brought peace. You see, these wounds and the, the weakness that I endured was for you. It's my love. It's my commitment to you. It's my everlasting commitment to you. This is what you've seen. My wounds. I want to show you my wounds. And I know for us it's still difficult. It's difficult for me. I shared with you before when our, when our, our, our home was burglarized on February 12, 2014. And one of the main reasons why I remember that exact date is because on February 14, 2014, Sarah and I had intended to take our niece and nephew out on that Valentine's evening. At that point, we didn't have Alexandra. We always loved hanging out with nieces and nephews or any kids that wanted to hang out with us. And so that night, we had planned. We were going to take them out. We were going to just had a good time with them. But when my house was burglarized on Wednesday, one of the first things I began thinking was like, I don't like them. Because they were going to come over to our house and then we were going to leave from there. And I was like, I don't want to see this. I don't want to talk to them about, you know, the worst thing at that point that I'd felt in my life. I don't, I don't want to share that with them. And I began to think, how can I change the day? How can I figure something else out? How can we look at them and say, you know what, let's, let's do this another time. And then it hit me. I told you this. God's speaking to me. No. This is the perfect time to have them over. I need to have them over. Before we go out and have fun, they're going to come over to my house and I'm going to show them where they broke in. I'm going to show them where I was violated. I'm going to show them and tell them all that happened that night. But then I'm going to tell them Adrian Josiah, I prayed. And I asked God to help those people that did this. Adrian Josiah, I want you to know I thank God that night. I worshiped him because I preach about trusting in God, but guess what? I also live it. I also live it, Adrian Joe. It's not enough to preach it. It's not enough just to read about it. It's got to be lived out. And it was my perfect opportunity to show them a weakness I had in my life, to show them my wounds so that they can see that even in my weak times, I'm still thanking God. Even when, my, even when life isn't going my way, I'm still praising the Lord. It's still a good day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice, and there's nothing that will stop me from rejoicing in the Lord. And I showed them that day. I showed them my life. 
I don't like doing things. But it's so important that we allow Jesus to heal our wounds. Jesus can heal all our wounds. And he did that for me that night. I knew immediately. I had learned life. I had learned in life that when life doesn't go my way, that's my time to pray. It's my time to worship the Lord. It's my time to show God I'm in this. I'm not in this because everything's going good. I'm not in this because everything's happening the way I want it to happen. I'm in this because you're my Lord and you're my Savior and you saved me and you've helped me and you're preparing a place for me. I'm in this, Lord, through all things because He can heal all our wounds. And He had healed that wound in my life before where I didn't trust Him, but He healed that wound. So when that happened on February 12, 2014, I was was healed. Immediately, I went to sleep that night. Sarah, on the other hand, kept up. I think she kept up back by me. I slept that night because I didn't have a wound. I wasn't wounded. <clears throat> and I shared that with Adrian just now. Jesus can heal our wounds. We need Christ to heal our wounds. Let me share some bad news with you. We're all wounded. Every one of us. We all have scars. We all have been bruised. We've all been hurt. We have all been wounded. And I I shared with you before a great book that really helps men, I believe, helped me, use it a lot in my ministry. Uh, But the author of the book, John Eldridge, tells this story, how he began to live a wild life. And he got to the point where he was thrown in jail. Sure enough, he called his dad. His dad shows up, gets him out of jail. And his dad didn't say anything to him. Not a word. He was older, you know, in his 20s. So, you know, what are you going to say to him? Put him spank him or whatever, you know, put him in time out. He didn't say anything to him. And John Eldridge shares in his book how what that created in him was a, a spirit of separation. A spirit that said, you know what? I don't need people to speak into my life. If I make a mistake, I'll figure it out. I don't need correction. I'll correct myself. I'll do this on my own. And John Eldridge in his book shares how he didn't realize he was wounded by his father until God exposed that in his life. Sometimes we're so deeply wounded we don't even know we're wounded. And that is the scariest wounds of all. It's the scariest wounds of all. And we need to learn to to be vulnerable and let Jesus heal us. And it's not fun and it doesn't feel good. Zelda, what's the only way we can go in to operate? Torn muscle, broken bone. You've got to open it up, man. You've got to open it up. It's the only way. You've got to get in. You've got to expose it. You've got to, you've got to become vulnerable. You've got to become weak. You've got to lay in the bed and not move. And they've, they've got to hurt you. They've got to tear you apart. Get to the wound so that they can fix it, so that they can bring healing to you, so that they can help you. It's not fun, but it's, it's something that we all need. We all need to be healed by Jesus. Every day I go before the Lord, I say, Lord, heal me. Lord, help me. Lord, be with me today. We've all been wounded. We all carry those wounds. But when we allow Jesus to heal us, when we allow the author and perfecter of our faith to come into our life, to speak into our lives, Unlike John Eldridge, where his dad didn't speak to him at all, but we let God speak to us. Speak, Lord. Help me. Correct me. Fix me. 
And I'm grateful that you're here today because you're allowing God to speak to you. You're allowing God to be with you. I'm grateful that you're a part of our home group and the men that were here yesterday because you're letting God speak to your life. You're letting God open you up. Get inside and bring healing to your wounds for all your needs. When you let Jesus touch you, when you touch his wounds, it's so important to touch his wounds. When the disciples touched those wounds, they made a connection with the Lord that would never separate them again. They would never run. They would never hide. They would never go in fear again. They touched his wounds. They touched the place where Jesus hurt for them, suffered for them. They touched that place. If you've never been there before, if you've never touched the wounds of Jesus, chances are you might leave the Lord. You might walk away from Him. You might not go to church for a couple of months. You might not read your Bible. You might not pray for a few weeks. But when you touch the wounds of Jesus, touch that place that He suffered for you, He died for you. When you touch Him, you'll never be the same. You'll be healed. You'll be strengthened. You'll be given purpose. You'll be given life. And I can tell you this, your wounds then will become used by God because God will cause He'll cause my wounds to heal others. He'll cause your wounds to heal others. When you touch His wounds, He heals you. He heals you. He'll, he'll expose he'll, he'll, he'll expose those deep hurts. Like I said, some of those areas in your life where you don't even know you're wounded until you're at a men's breakfast or a women's tea party or you come up here in front and you spend some time on a Sunday praying and God says, you remember when you were 12 years old? That wounded you. That hurts you. Let me heal you. Let me help you. Do you remember what your co-worker said to you? I know you toughened up and you, you fought through it and you've forgotten about it, but you were wounded and you never let me heal you. Let me do that right now. God wants to heal us. And then He wants to heal us to the point where we heal others. We help others. And we strengthen others. Today we're, we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to invite the team to come up so that we can bring the communion cup in. We're, well, I guess I'm going to bring it in. But I'm going to invite the team to, to come up. We're going to sing a, a song. If you, I know um, maybe you walked in and didn't prepare for communion. Online, you've got some time now uh, to prepare for communion. You can grab a cracker or some form of bread and juice, even if it's water. You can join us today in, in communion. We want to take communion. You talk about touching. Commun you know what communion is? Communion is touching the wounds of Jesus. It's remembering what He did for us. It's remembering how He suffered and died for us. How He took our mockery. How He took our spit and our slaps and the punches that were for us. It reminds us. We touch His wounds today through communion. And we're going to do that. Would you stand? We're going to first, and then we'll, we'll take uh, communion together. Father, would you just begin to work in our hearts and our lives. We want to touch you, Lord, just like the disciples touched your wounds. Because you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to touch you. Oh, as we sing, Lord, as we do have communion this morning, I pray that we will touch you. 